everyone and welcome to another Bible study here at One Love Live at Love Walk and I'm your host Lila Winston. As you know, we come together to read in the Word of God and study it so that we can practically apply it to our everyday lives and then also so that we can uh, accomplish our purpose in the earth. And so guys, um, I want to thank you so much for your patience uh, over these past couple weeks, a few weeks or so. Um, as you know, the Bible studies are coming a bit slow um, and we're working on so many things. So thanks for your patience. I want to encourage you in the meanwhile, check out some of the Bible studies that we have at lovewalk.substack.com. Uh, it's a great place where you can find downloads, uh, you can find printed Bible studies and other Christian resources. We also have a YouTube channel that we're working on. If you're interested in being a part of that, um, you can definitely contact us at lovewalk.substack.com. So let's go ahead and jump into today's Bible study. We're actually doing a Bible study um, that kind of connects with some of the things that we've been talking about recently as it pertains to how we use our gifts to navigate in the composite world that we live in and how to do that in a practical way that we get the results that we need um, and we're able to fulfill our call and our purpose. So our Bible study today is going to be in 1 Kings chapter 19. It's going to be verses 2 and 3. Now, this is a pretty famous story that people talk about. It is about um, the prophet Elijah. And so lately we have been having discussions about uh, the revelatory gifts like prophecy and like discernment of spirits and like the word of knowledge and even the word of wisdom. So we're going to delve right in and I'm going to get started. We're reading 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 2 to 3. That is our anchor text. And it says, Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them to them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw and when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. And so um, the reason I wanted to specifically read this uh, text or this uh, set of scriptures is because this is a man who's having a conversation with an extremely powerful woman who might be considered an official of some sort. And she's just threatened him, right? She's threatened him. And what he's done is he's ran for his life, right? He's like, what? And, you know, just to give this just a bit of context, um, this is coming off of the fact that um, Elijah has just had one of the greatest successes of his, I guess you could say, prophetic career in which he challenges the prophets of Baal to sacrifice to their gods and he would sacrifice to his God. And he says the real and living God would actually send down fire and his God actually sent down fire. So you would think that this guy would really be, you know, feeling himself, feeling strong and confident in God. But that's not exactly what happens. After this happens, Jezebel threatens him <laughs> and he runs. And so I think this is a moment for us as believers to really kind of apply that to our own lives. I think the scriptures offer us great windows into these prophets and these people in the Bible. It's just, they really are regular people like us and they really have have the same kind of sentiments that we do. 
Um, so we shouldn't put them on the pedestal in the sense that, you know, what they did, oh, they were just so brave. Um, because this guy ran for his life. And I think it begs the question for you and I, and I want to ask, are you running for your life or the life that God gave you? And that's always the question that we have to ask as believers. Are we doing the things? Are we compelled to do the things that we do in life because of, you know, what's happening in the world or the world system or, you know, I don't know, your boss or someone in your family, whoever it could be, or are we doing these things because of what God wants us to do, right? Because if you're running for your life, you cannot be running for the life that God gave you. When you run for your life, you run from the danger. But when you run for the life that God has given you, often you run toward the danger because you understand that God has your life and the life that he has planned for you is more important than the life that you're trying to save. I don't know if that makes sense, but the Bible puts it this way. It says, he who loses his life for the gospel's sake shall find it and the one who tries to save his life shall lose it so i think there is sometimes some logic that we don't see as uh, humans that god has put in place in the kingdom of god so it's important for us to understand that we should run for the life that god has set in front of us so when we consider the world and the odds you know that are you know here you know we see all that's going on in the world Sometimes if we feel like we have to do things in our own strength, we lose hope. But God isn't asking us to do it alone in our own strength. He is working alongside us and also countless thousands of others to accomplish the work. You're not the only believer, right? You're not the only Christian in the world. And we're all working together in some kind of way. You may not see that person. You may not even know that that person is a believer and that they are working on your side. You have to understand that God is trying to accomplish something in the earth, kind of like the butterfly effect. You don't know how your work is affecting someone else and someone else may not know how their work for God is affecting you. Remember, God says that we are co-workers with Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. It says, for we are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry. You are God's building. So I don't think God is going to allow someone to mess with his husbandry or stop what it is that he's building. And if you think about what it takes to build a house or to build any kind of structure, you do so with the understanding that it has a purpose. So if God is building you, if God is teaching you and you have purpose, then that means you can't just be willy-nilly. When I say willy-nilly, it's not like you just exist for no reason. You actually have a purpose, right? God doesn't make things without purpose. People don't build structures without purpose. I mean, if you could imagine I'm building something and it's like I've taken two years to build it and someone comes along and asks me, so what is it that you just built? I go, I really don't know. Yeah, I just thought I would build something. Like, God doesn't do that. He knows exactly why he built what he built. And he is building you. He says you are his building. So God knows how to get you where you need to go and to stabilize you in that process, whatever your mission is, whatever you're doing in life right now, even if he must send angels to feed you. And so in this very miraculous tale of Elijah standing against the wicked kingdom um, of Ahab and Jezebel, he also gets fed by angels, right? 
do your best and let God do the rest. That really should be your motto. Yes, we have to do our best as believers. You know, we have to pray. We have to read the word of God so that we can get stronger. The Bible has all of these things that it it wants us to do, and we are capable of doing it. If the Bible tells you to do it, you can do it. Believe me, you can do it. If it tells you, transform your mind, he's not going to tell you to do something that you can't do. So life isn't just about coasting along and the Holy Spirit is doing all of the transformative work. There's stuff that we have to do too. And we're capable of doing it because the Bible says that we can do it. So you should feel confident in that sense as well. You know, do your best and then let God do the rest, even in the missions that you are on as a believer. And it's a motto you should try and tack on and hang on to, you know, and I truly believe it because remember when God calls you, God knows the opposition. God knows your feelings. He knows how you're going to react. God knows your capabilities. So do your best in your task keep the faith and walk in his way and God will come through. Now, when I say God will come through, it may mean that he snatches you out of the fire or it may mean that he goes through the fire with you. So I want you to understand that however he is building you and however that mission has to go, what needs to happen um, in terms of his purpose, that is how he's going to show up with you. So Don't feel like there's a hard, fast rule that God's going to just swoop in like an eagle. He might be there just like that fourth man in the fire, right? I want to show you something in Elijah, uh, 1 Kings, I'm sorry, uh, chapter 19, verse 5 and 7, when we talk about angels feeding Elijah. And it says, And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake bacon on the coals and a cruse of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. So I think, you know, we have to understand that God's going to give us what it takes to be able to maintain our strength. Um, And a lot of times it may not seem like a lot. He ate twice and he was able to go 40 days. I don't know how you do that, but that's the miracle, right? The miracle is that even an angel came and fed him. The miracle is that he ate two meals and he was able to live on that for 40 days. So I think it's important to understand that there are sometimes miracles in the mundane, in the things that you don't see as being really powerful God is using those things in your life in a miraculous way. And so perhaps one of the key aspects of being a prophet that we see here with Elijah is their jealousy for the Lord God, their jealousy for the Lord God. There is a passion with declaring the mandates of the Lord, not our own mandates, not what's going on with us, not what's happening in, you know, this situation or that, but literally what is going on with God. What does God say? A passion for the way that, you know, God wants his people to live, a passion for his word. And prophets must be passionate for God's cause and not their own. That's really one of the most important things because you are the spokesperson for God and not yourself. And even if you're not a prophet, maybe you 
have the gift of discernment of spirits. What you discern is what the spirit has showed you, that what God wants you to see, and then you have a mandate on how to deliver that information. So I want you to look at what Elijah says when the Lord questions him, right? He says in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 14, he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, drawn down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And I think this is really important because it does show that he was very jealous for the Lord, what people were doing against the Lord, right? I think this is a really key and important thing. You have to be someone who cares about what's going on in society. You know, it doesn't mean you're striking, you're, you know, saying terrible things about people or whatever, denigrating people, but you should care about what's going on in society as it pertains to the will of God, as it pertains to the law and the commandments of God. You know what I mean? You probably wouldn't be some people like, oh, just do you. I don't really care about what's going on in the world, right? So I think it's important to understand that has to matter to you. And I think we see this a lot of times with people who do have the gift of prophecy, right? Maybe even people who have the gift of discernment of spirits or the word of knowledge. But I also want you to notice how that in this particular um, scripture, he does sound a bit down, right? Like he says, I'm the only guy left and they're trying to take me away, help, right? He's literally saying, look, he's saying like, I am just the last guy, the last man standing. And of course that isn't true, but the point is, is it is sort of demonstrates how he feels. And I want you to notice how exasperated and hopeless that final part of his reply was. And so sometimes when prophets or people with revelatory gifts, like word of wisdom or word of knowledge or even discernment spirits get really focused on self, like what's going on with them, gets focused on you know, what's happening in the world or situations around them, they can become overwhelmed. Don't become overwhelmed. I wanna encourage you, don't be overwhelmed. Remember, such gifts have a heavy responsibility that come with them. And it's why many prophets, you know, back in the old days, they used to call their prophecies or their exhortations burdens, right? If you can remember that, just go uh, do a quick um, search of the word burden. You'll find it all over the major prophets because they saw that as a burden because they had to deliver this word, right? Or exhort in some kind of way that they knew might be unpopular. So people with revelatory gifts may feel burdened with what they know or must say or what the spirit reveals to them. Sometimes he may, um, God may not have you to reveal what you know immediately. And that might sometimes be a burden to you, maybe because you know what's getting ready to happen and other people don't, right? But you must understand that this is God's work in you. It's God's work in you. So you want to cast your cares on God and focus only on being obedient. Like I said earlier, your motto should be, I do my best. And after that, I leave the rest to God. Because the truth of the matter is that's really all you can do is your best. And you can't make things happen. You can't make God come to some sort of conclusion about the purpose that he has. You have been selected to be his spokesperson. And so consequently, you're going to know things and it's going to make you understand, oh, I kind of understand how things are going and what he wants to happen. So sometimes that can be concerning for you, but you have to not be overwhelmed by this information, right? 
and relax knowing that it is not in your might, but it is in God's will. So I want to encourage you to surrender to how things are going in the mission God has for you, that you are in the way things are going, even if you don't understand it. Because even if God told you one thing and it looks like it's going the other way, that is still not your concern, right? He's the one that brings things to pass. That's so important. And like apostles and prophets, you know, people with revelatory gifts can have missions too. Prophets can have missions too. We see this throughout the major and minor prophets. Remember how we learned that believers have missions or periods where they are ministering in a particular way? For instance, I'm just going to, you know, give you um, an example. Your integrity on a job may be a ministry. While those around you may be cutting corners, deceiving, and committing fraud, you may be the only one among them standing in righteousness as a witness for Christ. You know, it may feel like a trial to you, but it is also working powerfully among your co-workers and superiors, and even up to the board and ownership. Your integrity can act as an exhortation or even a warning. And I want to prove that this actually happens with prophets as well. This happens with Christians, but this also happens with prophets. If you can remember, there was a certain prophet who was told to physically do certain activities as a demonstration to warn the rebellious house of Israel in Ezekiel chapter 12. If you have a moment, I want to encourage you to read Ezekiel chapter 12, where God tells Ezekiel to do certain things as a demonstration of what would happen, a demonstration of certain ideas and principles, right? So your time, you know, at that job may inspire the CEO to do what is right in an instance, in a business deal or a partnership that influences thousands of people positively or even saves lives in a country far, far away that participates, uh, that actually um, precipitates some kind of change and deliverance, right? halfway across the globe and that is why i say you're not acting alone as a believer no matter what your gifting may be god is working everything in order for him to work everything toward the good of those that love the lord there has to be this kind of interlocking complexity that's going on between you and other believers right that is why we must not think of every trial we face as being only about our life it can have impacts that you don't know and you don't see it can be changing the world and you not know it it can be saving lives and changing the trajectory of people's lives you cannot underestimate what God is doing in your life. Can you remember when the when uh, one of the uh, disciples ran to preach the gospel to the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8 verse 27? These encounters have long-lasting and powerful effects. He ran to get to this man who would never see him again, and he would never generally never ever see again himself. In fact, God took him away in a whirlwind after he had um, baptize this man. It was a divine appointment. We have to remember that God is orchestrating these things. And so when we are nudged in our spirit to do certain things, when you receive certain uh, inside uh, truths from the Lord, whether they're exhortations or truly predictions, or maybe you have the gift of discernment and you understand something about someone or some kind of situation, or you have the word of knowledge or word of wisdom, 
These things are interlocking. They are bringing about a purpose, right? And that is why being ready in season and out of season is key. This is important also to be obedient, right? To have kindness, to preach and teach the gospel, and also doing God's will even in the mundane. Because the truth of the matter is, sometimes there's no mundane with God, right? God is using things to work toward our good and also the good of others that we may not even know exist, okay? So we cannot be afraid to do what is right. Consistently doing God's will and what we know is right leads to salvation and freedom. Satan wants men bound both literally and figuratively, right? So why do you think, and I want, I want you to ponder this idea. Why do you think the dominant theme on earth is oppression? Man's inhumanity to man to steal his freedom, to grow his freedom to live, work, marry, build, to earn, procreate, and rejoice? Why do you think that? Remember, Jesus came to set us free, to give us salvation. And Jesus quoted the law and the prophets, declaring to all that for this reason he had come. Look at Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. That's Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 9. Salvation, saving, is to set someone free. If you're drowning in the ocean, you're trapped by the water. You need a savior. If you are unjustly locked in prison, you need a savior. If you are bombarded by evil thoughts, you need a savior. And if you are bound by a spirit of infirmity, you need a savior to be loosed or to be set free. Think about what Jesus said to the woman um, who had the spirit of infirmity for 18 years. In Luke chapter 13, verse 11 and 12, it says, and behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bowed together and could in no wise lift up herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said unto her, Woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. Now, when the Pharisees saw this, they were miffed. Really, really miffed, okay? Because Jesus healed her on the Sabbath day. But I want you to remember, Jesus knew that you cannot truly rest if you're not loosed, if you are trapped, if you are not saved, if you're not truly free. See, prophets and evangelists, even evangelists, okay, are kind of like prophets because they proclaim an acceptable gospel that in warning, in prediction, and in revealed truth sets men free. John the Baptist who was a, Le a Levite, was both a prophet and a priest, and he was the first evangelist from the honorable lineage of Moses. Jesus Christ declares him to be the greatest prophet in Luke chapter 7, verse 28, yet, and I really want to point this out, Jesus also declared that the least in the kingdom of heaven is actually greater than John. And this is a message to us because when we fulfill the Great Commission, we do the same. 
we prophesy and exhort the acceptable year of the Lord. That is Sabbath rest. God sent his son because he loved you and he wanted you free and he wanted his mankind to be free. So even if you are an evangelist, and I know if you believe if you have the gift, you've never really believed that you were a prophet, but in a way you are um, fulfilling a sort of prophetic uh, mission by preaching the gospel to the lost. And even if you are, you know, maybe you don't have the gift of evangelism, you just are a believer and you are obedient to the great commission of our Lord Jesus Christ, then you too are performing in a way, you're acting in a way, you're walking in a way that is also prophetic. It is prophetic. It is a, a level of prophecy to preach the good news and the gospel to the lost. I want you to see something in John chapter 8 verse 34 to 36 says, Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever commits sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abides not in the house forever, but the son abides ever. If the son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Think about that. Jesus Christ tells us not only are we set free, but he has given us the power to set others free. And I'll prove that in Matthew chapter 18, verse 18 says, Verily I say unto you, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So we set people free through doing sometimes the mundane, guys, the tedious, the awkward, <laughs> the difficult, or even the dangerous. Our race to run means quite a lot to not just ourselves. If you've ever heard of the butterfly effect, this gives us just a fraction of the understanding of how God works in this very complex, multidimensional, composite world of God's will, God's uh, men's free will, and purpose. Just like the fluttering of a butterfly's wings, your life has capacity to change the world. And so when we walk in the will and the word of God, then we can see that kind of change. What chain of events emerges from tossing one pebble into a pond? You may never think about it again, but something happened. And so what chain of events actually emerges from being obedient in just one difficult instance in your life when you could have took the easy way, you could have run away, but you stood tall. Instead of running away from the fire, you ran toward it. I want you to think of yourself as like, uh, a heavenly uh, firefighter. When everybody else is running away from the fire, you have to run toward it. You have to be brave. Sometimes we are taking the heat for the weaker ones, the voiceless ones, the bound and the imprisoned, the ones who are bent and can in no wise lift themselves. That's exactly what Jesus Christ did. He came down and he looked at us. He knew that we could never surmount the sin. We could never get beyond the condemnation of the enemy of our soul. And so he came and he took that heat for us. He took that pain for us. He, by his stripes are we healed. And that is why you must run on. That is why you must not quit. And this can be hard at times. It can be unpopular at times. And quite frankly, thankless at times. But we know to whom we have committed our soul. 
and we perform for an audience of one. And in acting to please that one, we save many lives, the dying and the ones who are living but dying inside. Sometimes people need to live again, even though they're alive. Paul admonished Timothy, and I want to admonish you. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 and 2, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. This means give God the produce of your gifts that he has given you in the Spirit. Also, the fruit of the Spirit. Give God the fruit of the Spirit that comes from your obedience because you also want to have obedience. The edification of the saints, you must be a part of that. And also the gospel, even when it is not your season. And that means even when it's a struggle or at times inconvenient to do what God has asked. Even when we face challenges to it, we know Jesus wants fruit out of season because we saw that in the example of the fig tree in Mark chapter 11, verse 13 and 14. Do you remember that? I'm going to read it now in Mark chapter 11, verses 13 and 14. And seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit off thee, hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. So if you think about it, Jesus went to a fig tree when it was not in season to actually have figs, not finding any figs, he curses it. Now I have to admit when I was a younger Christian, I used to think this didn't make sense. I'm like, why? It's not supposed to have any fruit. Why would he want it to have fruit? And that's because God wants multiplication and God knows he can get something from nothing right? Even when he gave the uh, servants talents, the man who had only one, you could easily say, well, you only gave that guy one talent, right? But God wanted him to at least make something of it, even if that meant just putting it in the bank to get interest. So God wants you to keep producing fruit, even out of season. Keep running toward the fray. You can be victorious. David ran toward Goliath. Jonathan and his armor bearer ran toward a garrison. Elijah ran ahead of the chariots of Ahab and the disciple ran and caught up with the Ethiopian chariot. So run, don't walk, run toward the work of God. And I wanna encourage you to run on, run toward the fray. Do you know that men live in bondage and oppression because of fear to run toward the fray? The fear is half of the battle. They pawn their future and even that of their children because of fear. But our God has said, do not be afraid. Do you know how many times in the Bible we are admonished not to fear and to take courage? You need courage to run. You need courage to take a victory that the Lord has already given you. Like we see with Joshua and Caleb, he just needs you to go in and take the land. We are all with you. Even if you don't see us working with you, every believer you meet, we are all working with you as co-workers in Christ Jesus. Do you remember when you were little and you used to run ahead of your parents? Do you remember what they would always say? Don't run or you might fall or break something. Do you remember that? It instilled in us a 
a bit of fear though, or a little caution at least, when the truth is, in life, we will all surely fall, but not all of us will have the pleasure and the joy of running free. Not all of us will break the ribbon at the finish line. Only those who were athletes will know this, is that running requires technique and strategy so that you don't fall, even when you're consistently moving at high speeds. So the point isn't that running causes falling, it is, you know, being uncareful and mindful, not having technique, skill, and that is what God gives us through his word. So running fast without falling requires attention to detail. It requires a mastery of technique, not fear. People fall moving slowly. So don't be afraid to run for the Lord and run as fast as you can toward the fray and know that the battle isn't given to the one who is the strongest. It is given to the one that the Lord has chosen. The race isn't given to the swift or the strong, but to the one that endures to the end. Endure to the end. So I hope you run toward the fray. I hope you tackle the challenge, and I hope you keep moving in the mundane. Run on, my friend. Run on 